I'm a bitch. It's fine. <laughs> David sent me this article, what, probably like two or three. I think we talked about it at the beginning of an episode and then cut it out because David is chronically bad at explaining things. So I was like, I, I don't even know what you're saying, David. Anyway, it was this article about skepticism. And then I recently read this chapter out of this psych textbook that I have that's about human perception. And I thought they meshed together really well. David had a better way of explaining the article. What is it? So the skeptics that you're talking about here, I don't, did you even read this? No, I did not read that fully like I said I was going to. <laughs> well, okay, so the article is about the skeptics. And the skeptics in this case, they're questioning the idea that there's an objective reality. And over the years... External reality. Right. That an, becomes an important. An objective external reality. Yeah. And over the years, they pose better and better questions in their pursuit of the truth. The final answer that they basically came to is that there cannot be an objective reality. Their final answer is that there cannot be an objective reality. And if you allow yourself to know this, then not knowing becomes not just more comfortable, but actually entirely freeing. Yeah, and I think that goes together really well because we're going to compare these ancient skeptics with today's understanding like scientific psychological understanding of how we perceive things and when i say perceive it like we're gonna get into how our brains perceive external stimuli so it goes together really well i think yeah yeah no science is finally catching up to help support you know claims that i the, the human race has always kind of thought instinctively maybe. yeah but we we didn't really have any way to explain that scientifically not even close and i'm not saying we do today but we're a lot closer you could almost argue we do if you want to look at enough evidence and put it together yeah <laughs> there you go. Skepticism. Okay, David, do you remember anything about this article since you're the one that sent it to me? <laughs> yes, especially after we jogged Talked my about... memory earlier. Yeah. Basically, it, the article starts off by saying that our modern view of skepticism tends to be that skepticism is frustrating because to not have uns or to have uncertainty is frustrating and like anxiety inducing and stuff right, right right right. the brain wants to know we want to know about that's our modern us. idea of it yep, yep. however the mm -hmm. ancient greeks thought that skepticism was how you found peace of mind basically because there is no certainty and i'm gonna be real this article david told me this and i thought he was calling me stupid uh because he's would you say I, like the I, article was heady and yeah, I, I said it was heady so honestly, the guy just sucks at writing. I'm, I'm going to be real with you, but I should probably say the name of the article, but that makes it, he doesn't suck at writing. He just overfluffs it a lot in a way that's confusing, but I also might be stupid. It is on eon.com and it is by, it's called Known Unknowables and it is by Ma, Madi Rene. Sorry if I said that wrong. And I'm sorry if you ever hear this. You don't suck at writing. Maybe I'm just stupid, but it it was a little overwritten for sure. So, and I had to draw my own conclusions in certain places because I wasn't 100% clear on what they were trying to say, but I'm pretty sure. I mean, I could just be stupid again. I don't know. But anyway, so yeah, ancient the ancient Greeks, they liked the idea of skepticism, a lot of Greek philosophers, because to them it, it was how to find peace of mind. And so this article goes through four philosophers and each philosopher kind of expands upon the idea of skepticism more so than the last philosopher love it so the, that's how we that's how we advance you know yes um so the first philosopher that they mention his name is sextus and he basically just lays the groundwork for the conversation on skepticism whereas the others expand upon it but 
Uh, so he says that humans differ in body and soul. And when he says that, he means like they differ in body, at, very simply put, as in so there's things that are good for David's body that aren't good for mine and things that are good for my body that aren't good for David's and vice versa. Our bodies all require different things, like different things, etc. And when he says that human beings also differ in soul, he means they differ in beliefs about the nature of reality kind of and, and also how and, how events around them affect them like it, it might be intolerable for one person might but it might be totally normal for another it's, yes it's yes yes so then he goes into the three groups of people which he calls dogmatists people who think they know that reality is objective or that the uh, observable external world is objective and they think they know what it is so they think it's objective and they think that they know what it is. And then there's academics who think that they have no idea. And then he doesn't say this, but obviously they're called academics because they're trying to find out. So they obviously believe they can find out, but they think they don't know. So they're working towards knowing. And then there are skeptics who do not deny any possible truth. They just don't they withhold agreement. So it's not that they say this is this is objective reality or this isn't objective reality. They're just saying, I'm not gonna say this is. And actually I thought about this, it's a quite an interesting, like the article itself and the way they lay out the philosophers is kind of proving the point of the skeptics because apparently the philosophers themselves don't necessarily agree with what they're saying. They're just posing these ideas, which is them being by definition exactly what they're saying, skeptics. They're posing these ideas of skepticism and they don't necessarily believe or disbelieve. Right, because they, they, they're just trying to like further this thought experiment, yeah, basically. basically, yes, yes. So Sextus, I think is his name, says that dogmatists disputing the nature of reality is them differing in soul. So the fact that, that different groups of dogmatists, different groups of people who have set ideas on how reality works, them having disputes with each other is how they would differ in soul. And he says that the fact that people have a difference in what they accept, what they reject, what they like, what they dislike, and that that affects everyone differently. So for example, uh, some people may accept atheism and that affects them in a positive way. Some people may accept atheism and that affects them in a negative way and vice versa and everything in between. There's a whole oh, ass, yeah. whole ass That's spectrum. A cool. That's a cool way to say it. Yeah, basically. It says that because people have a different idea or they have a difference in what they accept, reject, like, and dislike, and it affects them differently. He says, because of this, we can say how things appear in the external world, but we cannot say their full nature. So we can say how an object or a thing appears to us, how it sounds to us, how it looks to us, how it smells to us, but we cannot say its full nature because things affect people differently is basically what he's saying. And since things affect us differently and we can say how they appear, but not their full nature, there is no way to know what existing things are truly like beyond our own human perception, beyond our perception the second part of this uh but we'll, we'll get back to it we'll bring it back so then he goes on to say that the dogmatists claim that their opinion or perception of the world around them should be preferred by all humans so like somebody saying that my idea of the external reality or my perception of the external reality should be preferred is absurd because of the fact that they are part of the dispute. They're, the fact that they are part of the dispute on what is going on in the external reality proves that theirs cannot be and should not be the preferred one. Right. How could they possibly be objective? How could they possibly think that we know more? You are still in the same boat we are. Yeah, absurd is the word they use, but I would actually use delusionally arrogant. Like... To think that somehow you figured it out, even though everyone else yes. is experiencing oh, exactly something right. else. And there is a there is a, a a history and a reason for why these these people, you know, uh, Christianity literally. I don't know. You can take that part out. I think we'll explain it better later. No, it's fine. I mean, we could exp it's because I I think of it obviously biasly in the context of Christianity because that's how I was raised. But I don't think it's just Christianity. I mean, may it's not, but maybe just... because Christianity is the only religion that was clearly created 
for power and control and clearly expects its followers to get as many more Christians as they possibly can, whereas most religions are like, yeah, believe it or don't, we don't want you if you don't want to be here. Like, it's an actual, because they are secure in their belief and they don't care if you accept it or not, whereas Christianity does have kind of a different mode. But, right. but at the same time, they're... they're Religion aside, um, I feel, as far as I've known, there have always been people who do believe that their idea of reality, their perception of reality is the objective, true perception. Right, because their souls really just want to to see uh, and be told that there is a flat truth, that there's something simple to understand. For some reason. Right, for whatever reason. We couldn't possibly know. We don't know. It's just, that's their soul, you know? Why do you like what you like? Yeah, so that's basically, that guy lays the groundwork. And then this guy named, and sorry if I say any of these names wrong. I'm not really sure how to say that. Fuck you. But I think it's Cartesian expands upon this idea. Cartesian asks whether there is truly an external world at all. He asks, is there even a true external world at all? And he gives three levels to basically say... How, how do we know that there even is an external reality beyond our own minds? And the first one is our the way that our brains perceive things is different from people to people. And again, we're going to get into this. It, it, it is scientific. It has been studied how our brains perceive things. They choose, Our brains choose how to perceive things, and it might differ from person to person or time of day or whatever because perception of the external reality differs He's saying that you can't really say whether there even is an external reality. And then the second thing he says is he calls it dream something. But it's basically the idea that when you're in a dream, you could be in a situation that feels clear as day to you and you really feel like you're there, but you're not really there. You're actually sleeping in your bed. And that's a crazy one because like, how is that wrong? That's the only part of the article David explained to me when he explained it to me. Yeah, it stuck out. I mean, it's just like, well, damn. It was just like one sentence. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's probably a paragraph of it. But if, yeah, but yeah. It, it feels like, how, how can you dispute that? You feel like you're there yeah, in the you, dream. Exactly. You don't know, you feel it. Exactly. So what is different? Yeah. What is fundamentally different? Yeah. So he basically says there is no way to prove whether you're even in a dream or not whether you're awake or whether you're asleep because when you're in a dream you feel like you're not in a dream life is a dream yeah and then the third thing he brings up is that the concept of they word all these things a little differently i I am placing more of a general meaning to it because i think he says this one as like a demon deceiving you or something like that but he basically he he, he makes a thought experiment if i am here and a demon say a demon has created this reality just for me and just to deceive me basically but what he's getting at is that there's some sort of higher being like i don't know a god the concept of god who basically creates and portrays the reality that you see then that would not be the real reality because that higher being is portraying reality the way they want you to see it which could even be like a well-intentioned thing oh it could be or not yeah i'm not saying any of this stuff is nefarious in any way it's just like how it is it's you know we don't really know it's funny that he used a demon for his for his thought experiment because i feel like that i feel like that's relevant he chose not to incorporate god into no, it no he actually does go into that in that oh, article as well the demon is like i feel like he tries to use like this this like poetic spooky sounding thing just to catch people's attention but then as the paragraphs go on i don't know if the philosopher himself says it or if it's the guy writing the article who goes on to equate it to a godlike being creating your reality, you know? Yeah, yeah. From there, Kant expands. And I did want to say, because when I took an ethics class, I really liked Kant. I'm pretty sure it was Kant that did deontology, and I liked him. And he he has a lot of interesting things to say. He's a very logical person. He's got complex things to say. It's not this, his expansion on this, and I know for him it was just a thought experiment. It's not like so, not like a fucking religion he created. This, uh, how he expands on it is very fluffy. There's not really a real answer to it, but he basically says, how does our perception of the external world affect the external world? For example, I think it directly says, how does our perception of the tree in front of us affect the tree itself? How does our perception of the tree bear weight on the tree how does it change the tree's reality by our perception on the tree right does that make sense no 
I might have zoned out or something. No, I lost David, it. David, I fucking hate you. I didn't you. zone, but I lost it. What, okay, what? so Kant says, how does our perception of an external reality or an external object change or affect or bear weight on the external object? So for our immediate example, this microphone. Okay. How does my perception of this microphone affect this microphone, change this microphone, bear weight on this microphone? How does it physically affect this microphone? How does my mind's perception right. of the microphone change the microphone, right? Does that okay. make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah. then he doesn't say anything else. He, that, he doesn't. He just poses the question, right. basically. Yeah, exactly. Because he doesn't know. He doesn't know. Yeah, which... It gets expanded upon even further. It's by the an interesting guy. thought, but it's also it is, like, you know? come on, give us a little more than that. Yeah. That was a How meaningless does it? teaser. How does it? I like to believe, for example, and I swear, I swear on my life that this is true. As an IT guy, I had very, you know me, I'm pretty happy-go-lucky, generally have very good, happy vibes or whatever. I swear to goodness, good vibes make your issues like with computers and stuff less frequent. I swear on my life that I would I could literally just be there and I could fix things just by coming in, you know, not even like doing IT stuff, just just the good vibes. My car, I feel like it went way longer than it could have. Well, you're also a good Gemini, which again, we're going with traditional astrology, but Gemini is uh, ruled by Mercury, which is associated with communication and thereby associated with technology. So that means you would have a natural connection to technology. Well, cool. I mean, I'll just, I swear on my life that I have, it's like, it's its uncanny. It's, I still can't confirm it, but yeah. at some point you're like, well, damn, is this like really a thing? I think it is. And then this last guy expands upon Kant's idea even more of how does our perception of the external world affect the external world? And this guy... I think I wrote it wrong, but I also didn't know how to say it, but I spelled it like Wittgenstein, but I'm not really sure. <clears throat> he expands upon that and says, how does our intention affect the external world around us? For example, David has an intention of drinking a michelada, and because of that, his hand moves. Right. This one, this one stuck out to me as well. You don't think about every action between taking that cup of whatever's in your hand and bringing it to your mouth and swallowing it. And you don't think that. You just think, I want to taste it. And then stuff around you happens. It's you. You're doing yeah. it. But that's, that's a wild thought because, yes. We should think of an example where we have an intention and then something that's not connected to us well, happens because of it. I mean, I believe... I had an intention to meet, you know, basically to meet Richard and all the people I ended up meeting, all these good bandmates and friends yeah. that I've met. I knew that was, I always wanted that to happen. And it just, it just, it was real. It just happened. It, it, it happened. I came to California. Yeah. I became friends with someone else, moved in with someone. We're talking physical world though. Oh, well. The physical world around you. There's this th interesting concept I heard about, like the whole idea of spoon bending. Oh, fuck. I wish I could remember. But somebody said, concentrate because you know that whole thing in physics where even if you feel like you're touching something you're never actually touching it you're just pushing you're creating more tension of the air between you and the thing right right somebody said think about moving the air between your finger and the spoon rather than moving the actual spoon and that's how you will bend it oh which that sounds neat yeah i haven't tried it i'd be freaked out well i don't we don't know so Alan Watts, you know that, yeah, yeah the you know like really he's popular a good boy. psychologist. He's a good boy for sure. He's a good boy. One of my favorite quotes from him we're, is listen, that, we're probably more sober than we've ever been. So sober. It's just that our brains are broken, and that's why we're being. Extra, I know. Extra. I haven't smoked weed in almost a full thirty extra days. Silly. I have. I'm happy about it. We're being um, extra silly. Anyway, Alan Watts. Alan Watts. One of my favorite things that he says is that. If you imagine uh, something and you want it, that the universe will conspire to make it happen. Oh. And it's so true. You just got to know. And what you got to have passion. You know, the universe rewards passion. Not It doesn't want lukewarm. It doesn't want half-assery. It wants desire. It's intention. It wants intention. Intention I makes think a lot of intricacies change. get into that, which is why <clears throat> I do want to do a full episode on the concept of manifestation in which I think there are a lot of intricacies. We should, cause because it's not like you just get it tomorrow or in one second. Well, but if you also, know I you don't want, believe that if you just want something really bad, you get it. There's so much more that goes into it. I think if you really, truly intend on and, and, and are, are intentional about making it happen, 
that it will it will have you still have to follow through with action but that's part of that intention if you're not seriously serious about it just thinking it is not quite enough not yeah maybe maybe in a long 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 term it could be but if you really want something to happen in your lifetime is you only have so long here you gotta you gotta be passionate you gotta hurry okay i guess another thing if we're thinking of physical stimuli and also it is connected to us but it seems a bit more weird when you think about it is um if your intention is that you're angry with somebody your voice reflects that. Yeah. Yeah. Weird, right? Right. Even if you don't really want them to know, it's just going to. Well, you know? I mean, because just in general, even just... if you're yelling, the fact is that how do, how does that happen? How does your voice just decide, like, like, are you consciously thinking, like, oh, now I'm going to raise my Adam's apple so that my voice is louder? Like, no. What? It's wild. Uh, yeah. That makes, that makes sense. Yeah. That's basically what these philosophers thought about skepticism. And then to bring that back to perception, I want to go back to that thing that I wrote down about perception. I mean, first of all, there was the, the guy, Curtis, Curtisian or Curtisian or whatever. Cartesian. Probably. I don't know. <laughs> who literally has the level that says the reason that we can't trust that there is a true external reality is because people's perceptions differ from other people. And so now taking that and going to what I read about human perception. All right, Psych 101 type stuff. Literally Psych 101. I learned this all in the first psychology class I ever took. And I just, you know, I'm being reintroduced to it. But psychology has been testing how external stimuli is analyzed in your brain to create a perception. How external stimuli enters your brain, is filtered out, put here, put there, and creates your perception, okay? That's just it. It's perceived. It's all perceived. Everything around us is perceived. We don't fully know. It's just our way of navigating the universe, right? Yeah. It may, it's not objective. It's our perception. It's perceptive. That's it. Yeah, so first we get all the info into our brain, and it, and it filters before it hits our conscious mind. It gets filtered and, and filed away and put where it belongs, and then it hits our conscious mind, and we perceive it as something uh, and this is because our brains can only handle so much, right? So for example, 90% of the information that reaches your eye when you see a picture is lost before it gets to your brain. Estimated, obviously. Crazy. Right? Weird. So your your eyes are taking in 100% of information, but your brain is only perceiving 10%. Yeah, it's only decided that you really need to there's anything even noteworthy at all about whatever you're perceiving or, or but it's not even just noteworthy there's, oh, yeah, you're there's right. like yeah, so I much see, that I goes see. into perception so uh there's these two ways I, I forget which psychologist said this or broke it down but two ways of basically taking in stimuli there's top down and bottom up so top down would be having an idea about the stimuli that affects our perception of it so the idea that the water is going to be cold if I don't let it run first. That affects our perception of when we get into the shower. Bottom down allows the stimulus to form our idea. And bottom up. And form, yeah, bottom up. Allows the external stimuli to form our perception. So that would be like jumping in the water with no expectations and being like, oh, fuck, this is cold. Maybe I should run it first next time, right? Right. In general, we should be, it's just, it's just an important distinction, right? You know, your perception, your, your expectation can change your perception. Oh shit. I That's just really realized that saying. goes with that kind of what that one guy said. Oh no. Cause he said that we would actually be affecting the water in that case, but maybe we are, you know, well, we, we might be, there was that whole study about like, talking you to your water. It, if you that's yeah. right, the water could change the, how it, the ice cubes that it forms are different based on. If you're shouting at it and you're angry at it, or if you give it love and, and happy feelings, it will literally change. And it's repeatable yeah. how the crystals will form. And it's not just your voice, like the acoustics of it. It's literally probably feelings because the acoustics, they, they, did, they, they put in safeguards to help prevent it from being that. Yeah, so maybe when you get in the water and you expected it to be warm, but it's cold and you go, fuck, this is cold. It does affect the water and the water is upset. So then they're like going into perception as well. Th this chapter talks about kind of the different studies and also the different theories. And one of the theories, Gestalt has this long ass theory 
that has all the ways he says our brain prefers to see things. As in, things might be this way or might not be this way or might not fully be this way, but our brain prefers to see them this way. He's got like seven of them, I think. And one of them, I think is it's has something to do with our brain prefers to group things together. So for example, that would be like when we see the letter X, we see the letter X, we, we see a cross. We don't see two lines crossing each other. Or when we see a T, we don't see a line and a line on top of that line. We see a T because our brain prefers to group things together. And that could, that could go with a bunch of different things. I think letters were just the examples they used because it was in a book. The more we can understand about our, about our external, the happier our brain is. So yeah, it wants to clarify. That's that, that's that. It likes putting things in its neat orderly place. We don't like uncertainty. Yeah, and there there's a bunch of these rules of how your brain prefers to see things. And like for example, they said they talk about how a lot of people see faces and things that there aren't faces in because our brains prefer to see things that are familiar. So even though there's not really a face in it, our brains prefer to see the face in it sometimes because it looks more familiar than a random squiggle and an asymmetrical couple dots yeah. or blobs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it sees a face, right? Even though there's no face, which is wild. Us humans love to anthropomorphize too. Well, you're mi- it, okay. So it's not emotional though. This is just our brain, and yeah, yeah. And they're not saying why. It's just like your brain being like, I don't even think they say they if they have any ideas of why our brains do these things. They go into a couple things, but like. It's just saying that your brain prefers to take in information this way. There's also optical illusions, which is like buildings look smaller as you move away from them. Yeah, we still understand that we're moving away and not that it's actually getting smaller. Yes, that's part of what they said. Our brains can also do this thing where they instinctually know if sometimes for optical illusions, they can sometimes instinctually know that even though the building looks further away it's not and we don't know that because science tells us it like people instinctually would know that yeah and they probably did before they had the science right. to back it up it's hard for an ai to understand that as far as we know how to teach it but humans are very good at understanding these types of things intuitively yeah so then there was a hearing test where the guy put two different audio things in each ears and so one ear had one sound the other ear had another sound and he played them simultaneously repeated it over and over probably with different sounds i'm guessing and found that people could only pick up one at a time didn't really know why they picked which one up at what time and nobody really agreed on why that was there were, were a bunch of different psychologists who had different ideas and tried to redo the test in different ways they couldn't really agree but the one thing that they agreed on is that because we're taking in so much information from our external reality and our brain can't fit all of that information so it filters some of it out certain things go through the filter much easier because we recognize them as important and they stay in our brain. So they're like your name. Your name is already recognized as important. So if you're in a crowded room where everyone's talking and there's noises going on, you might still be able to hear your your, your name. You might still pick your name out from across the room just because it's easy to take that information right. in because you already know it's important. You've, you've assigned, yeah, you've pre-assigned a lot of, like you, your programming and your brain has learned that there should be a lot of weight assigned to that that word that, yeah and because that, that of that input. it doesn't take up as much room so it comes in easier right you just yeah you just know it anything important is something you're going to naturally pay attention to if you decided it's important yeah and then the last thing about perception which was the truly mind-blowing part about perception for me and i do remember learning about this but i was telling david the way that this book explained it it really fine-tuned the concept for me so the concept that pain is subjective, right? And we learned about it in psychology when I took this first class, but I don't think it was really explained as well as it was in this book. So the way it was explained, it came off at, they didn't say emotion, I forget how they worded it, but they were basically saying like, pain is not the physical sensation. Pain is our emotional perception of the physical sensation. So for example, if I flick David and then I flick myself just as hard, we both had that same exact physical sensation, but one of us might experience it as pain and the other one may not. And they found different things that kind of affect this. Anxiety is one thing, so if you're a hypochondriac or you have a fear of the consequences of the, the physical sensation, right. you will experience it as pain. 
if you don't really care about the consequences of the physical sensation you may not experience it as pain you may just experience it as a physical sensation actually i have kind of a good example for this because i told savannah that when i hold my pee it hurts and she was like it hurts i'm like yeah if i hold my pee for too long it starts to hurt like it it feels like a sharp pain kind of my bladder is like bitch let me out and she's like it doesn't hurt i'm like how do you know if you have to pee then and she's like well there's a physical sensation but it doesn't (laughs) hurt and i never understood that Uh until this chapter and now i'm like oh yeah because she probably wasn't putting any anxiety or weight on it she was just like gotta pee better pee but my brain is crazy and it does anxiety things fair enough yeah i just get this like uncomfortable feeling but it's definitely not like but yeah, if it gets to a certain point, I'm like, well, I really just can't, uh, I can't stop feeling this feeling. It is a physical. I don't know if sensation. I would call it pain for me, but it's like I experience something. it as pain. Yeah, that's crazy. You know, and it's subjective. How could I even say I don't? For all I know, it's the same feeling, but it's not pain. Yeah, well, they you know? they would claim, or like it would seem by the way they're explaining it, that you know, even I could make it not feel painful to me if I quit feeling anxious about it. Right. Or if I felt more anxious, it's painful. Yeah. And there are like other things that kind of went into it with pain as well. Uh, They talked about chronically ill people, not really, they would feel the physical sensation, but they wouldn't call it painful because they already knew there was nothing they could do about it and whatever else and da 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 That could also go in the reverse. You could know that it's going to be the demise of you and therefore it could hurt way more. It probably plays into, period cramps probably play into this. Like, I would say that, like, some people probably don't really experience their cramps as that bad because to them, it's just like, oh, it's a part of life, whatever. And, like, I have days, I for sure have days and times where I kind of can block out cramps. And then other days where I'm thinking about, like, oh, I can't believe I have to go do this while I have cramps. Or, like, oh, like, right. stuff like you, that. And then, so it, feel and then it pain. hurts way more. Right, because you kind of just, like, don't – right, to you, it's something – it's a problem now. And you can't stop it. And it's just bothering you. And you can't ignore it. And it just hurts. Yeah. And then they brought up <clears throat> the one thing that I thought was really important with the hypochondriac specifically. Because I have experienced this. And it's very, very true as I've been – becoming more self-aware and trying to work on it is they were saying like hypochondriacs which i don't think it's called that anymore but whatever you know what i mean people who always think something's wrong with them they can feel it's not that they can create pain because you're it seems as if they're creating pain they're creating the physical symptoms like if i thought i was having a heart attack it would seem as though i was creating chest pains but But the way they were explaining it is kind of like your body is always going through physical sensations all the time and we're filtering them out because some of them just aren't important. It's the same thing with the other senses, with sight and with hearing. We're taking in all these physical sensations in our body and our brain can't hold it all so it filters some out. But if we are anxious about this type of thing, then it is turning that sensation up it's dialing it up so that we feel it more we're focusing on it more right it feels as though it's turning the sensation up it's not actually turning the sensation up the sensation was there and it's the same sensation it's just how we're perceiving it right it's your attention to it it's increasing it's your yeah Uh uh-huh and then there's the whole thing about phantom limbs where you feel the limb that has been amputated in some way or another which they had explained could they don't really know why still, but they had explained it could be a crossing of, what's it called? The things that make you feel? Nerves, just crossing they, they of They said your... crossing of wires is how yeah. they said it. Yeah. I mean, there's actually been a lot of studies done on it, and they don't they don't know the full answer. I mean, yeah. It could just be because you want to be able to move that part, but it's not there, and that's yeah. just like so off-putting to your brain because you've had that. and So, yeah, it could be, and it could get tangled up your... Yeah, your like they said, like, uh, because the limb is gone then your brain could have been like okay now every time somebody touches the lip we're gonna think it's the arm because the arm is gone so every time someone touches your lip your arm hurts but they did also say that there was something called mirror therapy that has been proven to be effective believe it where they have the person in front of a mirror doing tasks so that they can when they experience the phantom limb sensation they can look and see there's That's nothing so there. good. Right? It's funny how, the, how how much we can rewire our own selves. Yeah. Just so, by changing how we think. It's called metacognition, actually. And literally, it's the final stage. You can increase simply knowing about your own intelligence. That's metacognition. Okay. Yeah, because once I learned about these things, 
you can start to work with things and turn things up and down and like kind of make your perception of things different, right? right? You, you can you can really affect yourself in that way much better once you begin to use metacognition to to really just just kind of hack it, you know, just use it to your advantage to reframe where you're coming from, to understand that your intel like look at look at your own intelligence from a third person. That's kind of metacognition. Yeah. Your perceptions, your whatever you're doing to think about things. You just made me remember something else too. Go for it. This wasn't in the chapter about perception, but it was in the first psychology class I took. There's something called psychosomatic. And it's literally when you think when you okay, so it's when you experience pain or physical sensations or symptoms for absolutely no reason. There's no reason behind it. It's usually a mental thing, like a hypochondriac thing. So psychosomatic, there was an example of a woman who literally could not see. She was blind. They tested her. They're like, uh, they figured out she's not lying. She couldn't see. And then they, and I learned this in my psychology class from my professor who was a doctor. So I, I don't think he would be, you know, making up wild shenanigans. Maybe he would, you never know. But he was a pretty salt-of-the-earth guy who just was into psychology. So this woman who, she was blind, and they kept trying to figure out why she was blind. They couldn't find out why she was blind. And I don't remember what the reason was, but I know that it ended up being an emotional reason. And stuff like that is, like, so psychosomatic is when you are having the perception def- deficiency. Right. It's true, but it's not. But because there's of no reason. Ailments, it's because your right? brain did it. It's because your brain. fucking brain did because it. Because everything we experience is from our brain. There is. We don't actually see anything. What we think we see is 100% in our brain. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's our brain deciding how it wants to interpret the information. Right, whatever information that's coming is just interpreting. Dude. It's interpreted that there is nothing coming into her eyeballs. When you know? I, just to go off on woo-woo a little bit again, when I think about that, because I actually do think about that a lot, about how like our brain is just interpreting all these different frequencies that come into our eyes and our nose and our ears and our skin and whatever. Like our brain is literally just interpreting frequencies and making sense out of it. I think about it sometimes and I'm like, what's going on in the actual reality? And then I feel like I'm just like floating around in this fucking ethereal abyss and I feel like I'm sitting on this chair, but I'm really not. And it freaks me out because I'm like, why is my brain making this whole thing? And what does it actually look like? You know what I mean? What do you think a cell perceives around it? Like a, a, a literal cell. I don't Any, think a pick, cell is sentient. I think they are. They actually display a lot of activities of life. We are literally just a collection of cells. I mean, yeah, I think they. I think cells perceive. I, I have this feeling that they do. It's alive. It's a live cell. It has all the characteristics of life that we've decided to find life, which aren't even perfect, but you know. Damn. Well, like, I don't know, David. Like what kind Honestly, of, Honestly, you know? my, my brain can't even think about that because it's, it's already too fucking focused on this weird ass <laughs> what is well, actually. Well, it's just crazy. Your perception is, uh, you know, we're, we're comparing amongst humans and even amongst humans, there's a wild amount of variation. My brain is so overwhelmed just by this. So we can't <laughs> think about cells. Okay, David. All right. All right. Hold on. So psychology knows that our brains choose and they have studied and they have come up with theories that our brains pick and choose how they're going to interpret all the information around us. That fact means or that theory rather means that if our brain is picking and choosing how it's going to interpret the world around it this goes back to the skeptics we can know how we perceive the external world but we can never know its true nature which means that the external reality we perceive is subjective say it with me david subjective exactly not objective (laughs) right Subjective. I'm a firm believer that yes. it's subjective. Uh, really quick. It has to be. Also, there it's was this really fucking cool quote by this artist, P the Fairy, and it was, reality is subjective. And if you think I'm wrong, you're right. <laughs> That's pretty good. Oh my God. That's pretty good. I was like, ha ah. mm-hmm. Anyway, so 
I, because of these things, because of like the skepticism and the perception go together really well, right? They really do. I mean, that's literally what they're almost trying to define. Absolutely. And this psychology. It's like, yeah, like these ancient Greek philosophers were trying to define the psychological information. Right. We're, We're tying in. Science is finally catching up to that point where it can begin to actually match these old ideas, these old philosophical thought experiments that that we've had for a long time. More than just these four people. They're just four people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even amongst themselves, they have varying... Yeah, this guy, no doubt, just picked four people that he thought probably went well together. Or I'm right. not sure who wrote it. Maybe it's Maybe a woman or a Maybe influential... This person who wrote the article probably just picked four people who went together well. Like, their ideas went together yeah. well. If you went to school for philosophy, you, you do actually sort of study, like, the progression. You actually should know. It's where history actually and dates actually become a little bit helpful to understand the picture. But yes, I know that, that said, from a, a, the philosophy podcast I listened to and from the one philosophy class I took. But, however, people can still decide. Like they take, the, they take their pick. Of course they It's do. not like there's a definite objective, this guy and this guy go together. Correct. You know? Those might be four guys that are more commonly taught than others because yeah. of whatever reasons. Just well, like Kant Freud is a big is name. super taught. Kant, you, Kant is a big Kant name. Is big. Yes, I don't yes. know the other ones, but the other people he mentioned yeah but i have like i came to some conclusions that we talked about already conclusions yeah about these two subjects and how they meld together and what that means about the world are you ready meld me (laughs) (laughs) or something (laughs) so science or you know psychology whatever you want to call that has tested how our brain perceives things it has tested how our brain so if it's testing how our brain is deciding what information to perceive then that means that by default our brain is not perceiving the full story correct well yeah because it's just choosing it can't be it can't be the truth it's how it chose to interpret it yes right so we wouldn't even know what the truth is so that means like by default by default the external reality we see is not the full story because our brain is choosing what right. to perceive, right? Right, exactly. So this makes the previous ideas of skepticism more valuable. So because our perception is scientifically recognized as subjective, the Greek view of skepticism, the idea of skepticism we talked makes about, more is more valid, it makes more sense, it's more valuable. Uh, and then the next thing I realized is, I was thinking about it, I was like, so people act like when you talk about this idea of the external reality being subjective and not objective, of there being more to it than we recognize, people act like that is woo-woo, metaphysical, over the top. But in reality, it is backed up by science that our brain picks and chooses what information it's going to perceive, right? So why is it perceived as woo-woo or metaphysical to say that we... we don't believe there is we can know an objective reality i think it's because it's a little bit it doesn't have to be but it it, it's a little bit uncomfortable if you're coming from the worldview and defending your worldview that there is an objective reality and also i think on a lot of levels growing up myself having thought that and been taught that Mm -hmm. when i say thought that i mean like that was the general standard there's an objective reality around you i think because of that it's just pervasive and and so we just come from that that we, we come to that understanding and we take it as common sense in the same way that, you know, you take most. So you think that, because I was thinking about this and as I told you, I was like, the original conclusions I came up to is it's one of two things. Either I'm smarter than everyone else, which is unlikely, or somebody's gaslighting us, right? But what you're saying is there's an alternative option and, and that is, because this is information, like I said, it is in an intro to psychology book you learn about it in intro to psychology uh which most people take in high school so it's easily accessible information but we don't teach it to kids you know not necessarily like and for a long time we haven't been teaching it because if we were taught as kids that is much more likely or just like kind of just said that the reality around us is subjective it probably wouldn't be that weird at all at all. We wouldn't even want to... Def- you know, it's you know. crazy because all they would have to say is that 
there's a lot of information. And we're not sure. And, and no, no, no. There's a lot of information and our brain can't handle it all. So it picks what information it's going to interpret. Right? That would be easy. But like, as you said, you bring up an alternative conclusion, which is that it just makes people uncomfortable. So do you think it's possible? Because they've been taught that it's not the case. So then people people cling well, I to worldviews that they make very hard. It, yeah. it doesn't matter what it is. It can be a little thing, big thing. It is it is a it is an active effort. It is challenging. You are challenging them whenever you suggest anything contrary to what they believe, especially something as kind of just pervasive as like there is an objective reality we all share. Because mm-hmm. there is an objective well, there is a there is a reality that we share. But it's not objective still. We can't it's yeah. not objective. Our brains can I mean, if you even be. think about like me and you having this conversation right now, and you know, because we both have a lot of Gemini energy, we have a lot of conversations. And then later we talk back about our old conversations. We do and lots. It, it often happens that we are interpreting or picking out different parts of that conversation. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. We focused on, we like, retained certain parts more yeah, than Yeah, and you retain some parts and I retain other parts. And then we talk about it again and we're like, oh, yeah, oh, that yeah. did happen. Yep. And oh, yeah, we did talk about that. And so, like, it's kind of the same thing as well. Yeah. Even just in conversation. So you say, like, oh, there is an objective reality that we're sharing. But that, honestly, it's so broad. It's like, super broad. So, so, so that, vague and broad, the objective reality that we share. Right. And then there's so much more to it. Exactly. But, it's, it's not the full picture. Yeah. Because there is something that's shared. I do think that. I yeah. mean, we are sort of experiencing, in our own way, something out there. Yeah. But, you know, and we can we might be able to determine it's, it's kind of like that. Because yeah. we're all kind of experiencing it pretty similarly. You know, that building is there, okay? We're not saying that building's not there. I can't subjectively say no that building's not there i don't see okay it. it's not there. remind me to get back onto the concept of being uncomfortable because i have something to say but i do want to tell you this other thing i think about all the time okay, okay. let's think of an example so this cup what color is this that i'm pointing purple to? purple pink okay so pick one fuck uh let's go with a hot pink. It's a it's a metallic hot. Just pink. pick one fucking color. Make it easy. Metallic hot pink. No, one <laughs> word. Pink. We're calling pink. it. Okay, so it's pink. Okay, this is pink. There's so I see I see this color, and I say pink because I was also taught it was pink. You see this color, and you call it pink because it was all you were also taught it was called pink. But so somebody said this is pink, and your brain went pink. And but for me, even though I was also taught this exact color was pink, I could be seeing it as this color because that's how my brain could see it uh and you would never know because we were both taught that this color was pink for the longest time i didn't understand how people knew that people were colorblind because when you're a kid somebody says this is red and even if you're seeing red as their purple right right you would never have any way of knowing and then i realized you can like physically see it in their eyes and stuff but right and there's also different kinds of colorblind but like the point is to say, not just with colors, that could be applied to anything. Yeah. Really anything. Right. Even, anything, if, even anything, if it's shared. Honestly. Like, that's totally true. And I've, I've heard that before, that little that little talk. Yeah. I'm like, I yeah. thought I made that up, but I you guess not. not. I'm you not that not. smart. Whatever. But anyway, <laughs> isn't that crazy? Oh, come on. Though? The Simpsons have done everything first. Did they do that? Probably. Oh, okay. The answer is yeah. They've done everything okay. first. No, like the fact that. Even though we both call this pink because we were both taught it was pink, we could be seeing it completely right. you differently. Right, see a different color, and it's, it's fucking still wild. Because we're both still calling it pink, we know it is pink. So why did I say that? Uh, you were just sharing that, and it's because it's cool. I think you just wanted no, to share it. No, what were we talking about? Then you were going to go back to we something that made you We were talking about something. Oh well, we're talking about. I was talking about the building is definitely there. Okay, so you could see that building a certain way, and I could see it a completely different way than you see it, and we would never know, right? Because we were both taught building yeah you see what i'm saying we were both taught like oh that's what a building looks like but you know you could see it as something that looks like flying purple unicorns to me and i would never (laughs) fucking know that would be fucking insanity but yes that's true i'm using dramatic examples but you get what i'm saying no i exactly you are right there is really not a great way to help determine that you know we, we don't know it's yeah, you yeah. would have to literally be inside of my head, right. seeing ha- what I'm seeing through my eyes. And that means that the reality that we're experiencing is subjective. Well, I despite mean, despite yeah, there maybe just... being something that we are all kind of coming off of. Yeah, uh, it's like 
they're both kind of right, you know? Yeah. If you think we're wrong, you're right. It's true. Yeah. It's true. So, so back to the uncomfortable thing. You brought that up and you said that it makes them uncomfortable because like we're basically taught to have certainty. But I was thinking that, uh, I hadn't considered this before you said it, that people could simply be not talking about this even though it is, it's science. It should be at this point common sense. It's easily accessible information. Nobody talks about it. Everybody acts like it's a it's a weird thing to say that our external reality is subjective. That could they could be uncomfortable by that because it's scary to think that what I think is That's real is. is not actually real. Well, yeah, exactly. That that is a major gigantic challenge to what seems like a very sensible and normal worldview. To the belief that we're, there is an objective reality that we all share, because that's what we've been taught. Yeah, that's that's a major shakeup to something that you would take as like a defining tenet of life and your experience of it. That's a weird. That's uncomfortable. Again, people don't like being challenged on views, anyways. But that one just seems like, well, it seems like common sense if that's what you've been taught. It seems like really common. It actually seems like you're insane if you're telling me that there's not an objective reality. And sign the scientific community went through this too. Einstein was among the first of the early, you know, scientific peoples that did start to believe that there is not an objective reality, and that's because he was able to think ahead and understand. That honestly shocks me because he called quantum. What's that? Um, he 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 called it spooky action at a distance. Yes, yeah. he's one who helped define that, but he still, till his death, believed in God. He was all he was a he was a believer despite well, that's all believing of this. in objective reality. Or sub, that's believing that there is an objective reality if you believe in God. I don't really think so. And you, it's hard to, we can't, just because I said that doesn't mean we can understand what his, what his view Full of religion view really of God was. Because yeah. some people say they believe in God and they mean right. like unity. Con- yeah, that's, everyone means a different thing. And some people just mean that they believe that there is some sort of divine plan. Right. I even think that's, energy. that's a little objective I think there's I think no the plan, I don't know. freaking way of knowing. There's no, no way of knowing. No, there's definitely not a way of knowing yeah. that, that we know of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe. Maybe one day they'll actually get there. Maybe. You're bringing it how. full circle, and I'm not there yet. I'm not, I'm not there enough to admit that maybe we could one day know, because I don't see how that could possibly happen. I don't know either. So talking about scientists, that actually, because when I was writing this conclusion that I came to, the first thing I was thinking about is mainstream scientists, not quantum physicists, not anything like that. I was thinking of mainstream scientists when I was thinking that what we call skepticism today is a completely bastardized version of what this article would have you believe skepticism is. It's a completely fucked up, reversed, topsy-turvy, ass-backwards version of what this article would define as skepticism if you think about it because today when we refer to somebody as a skeptic it is oftentimes that they're a very sciencey atheisty type and they are questioning people who question the nature of reality whereas this article defines a skeptic as somebody who is questioning the nature of reality so it's like flipped yeah. and reversed they, what they the were, fuck happened there i, I don't know they, i think I think it's a little bit contextual. They were called the skeptics back in the day because they were the ones going against the prevailing belief that there is an objective reality. They were the skeptics. They were the opposite of the dogmatics or dogmatists. Yeah. They were the opposite. Well, that would be the true definition. So, well, and, in their in their and case, if in all you case, believe is you, what your science experiment tells you, your biased science experiment, that makes you a dogmatic. Yeah. No. Seriously. Or I, an I, academic. Exactly. And again, I say I grew up originally as an atheist believing in science and stuff but then i always i just kind of felt like it wasn't oh. enough to explain these things and now i feel like it's it's like i went the i went almost full circle to yeah. believe that there is some kind of religious fear there's some kind of god i i think it's still everybody you know the monad yeah you know i want i want to make a distinction really quick because keep shitting on science I believe that what we know as science and what science tells us right now is the most uh, accurate and reliable thing we can go off of if you're going to make any major life decisions okay believe what the mainstream scientists are telling you anything like that believe what the mainstream scientists are telling you because that's the most reliable information we can have right but that doesn't mean that it should be taken as fucking the law right they are not perfect they're human just like they're part of this just like us it is also subjective but it's 
you know, it's the closest thing we can get to objective, right? The best thing we can do is take in information from as many sources as possible and then compare it to our previous experiences and try to make good informed decisions off of that. And that's the most you can ask of anybody. That's the most you can ask of anybody. You should probably still believe scientists when it comes to important life decisions that could affect yourself or others, though. I'm, I'm just, well, yeah, that's what I'm, I'm just saying. throwing Take, that out there. Well, yeah, I'm not fighting that. I'm, you know, I'm but, saying yeah. believe. There's a lot of reasons to believe the scientists. They're using experiments. Yeah. They're taking a lot of effort yeah. to figure these things out for us. Doesn't mean they're perfect. But that doesn't mean it's the full picture, right? It, it, right. They are inherently biased in the fact that they are part of yeah. this, just like us. They are. They're not perfect. Their their experience of everything is subjective. They're yeah. trying to be as objective as possible. But this is what we were talking about before, how science is kind of in crisis. It's kind yeah. of because it's looking like there's yeah. not an objective reality. And I think a better way to even frame it is it's just like our brain prefers to perceive things as grouped together. It's like viewing an X as an X rather yeah. than two cross lines or rather than four yeah, Vs. we love categories. But it's but that right there is not saying that the X is not an X or it's not two cross it can lines be both. or it's not four Vs. It's just saying viewing an X as simply an X is not the full story, which is what I would say about what we view as anything being objective truth is that I'm not saying that that thing that science is saying isn't true. Right. I'm saying it's not necessarily the full story. It is true and also there's more right always always we don't see we can't experience everything again we only have five senses ish five yeah. real senses and those that senses we... can only take in right. so much information and, and even then yes they're still biased alone by their own selves so like what else are we living in what else is in this muck about us that we don't even experience or notice or have any ability to notice you know yeah we don't notice the electromagnetic waves all around us. We don't notice them at all. We don't notice the magnetic waves at all. That's crazy because it's there. It affects things. It probably affects, I don't know, all sorts of things that we do. But we have no idea because we're not really sensing it. Yeah. Should I even touch on the part of me saying that I think we're a little bit gaslit? Or I don't sh- know. Should we save it? I don't know. Because the okay, so you, I think it's valuable in the sense that I do think that this information could be more easily accessible, and it it is easily accessible, and yet nobody's talking about it, nobody's teaching it, and it's important shit. It's important information. Quite literally, is understanding the world around you, your entire reality. So it's important. Either people are they get it and they're just too uncomfortable to admit it, which I think that might be part of it, or also another part of it is that for some reason. This information is being suppressed. The, talking about this information is being suppressed. So that's why I think it's kind of. I wanna. I generally like to ascribe the simplest answer to things when possible, and I feel like this is just a holdover of yeah. just like we talked about that uh, the article we did on that one that one scientist. He's trying to express that monism was definitely something that was taught and believed generally by most people. Up until Christianity, 300 plus years ago, started beating the ever living shit out of it and, and make you know torturing you, burning you, killing you if you if you if you believed in monism. And they did that largely. Be, this guy says that the story goes it's because if you if God is accessible right around you anytime you want and you can reach Him, then what do you need the church for? What do you need the clergymen for? Just like you said, it was used for okay. power and control. So, and so I feel like what I'm getting at is. That story was used and bludgeoned into us so hard that it just became quote unquote common sense. Not that it is, just that things like that that are in the human collective conscious are very hard to change. But they are changeable, but it's difficult. And it is also, like I said, if that's what you believe, that's a major challenge to your worldview. Something everyone takes as standard. So it's not, I don't think it's gaslit per se. I think it's just a carryover. Just a, a remnant you of... You kind of just gave an example of how it could be when you said that if you knew... They gaslit us at listen, first by no longer no, think listen. that's the case. If that you, basically is what you're saying. But what so I'm, you're right. Okay, so take... Okay. Take this. When I talk about God, take it and replace it with knowledge, okay? Okay. So you said... If we knew that God was easily accessible but on our own, we could access God on our own. We believe we wouldn't need the church. And so replace right. God with knowledge, right. replace church with whoever the fucking they is, the education system, whatever you sure, want to call sure. it. Okay. If we knew that this knowledge was easily accessible, 
we would not need people to basically run our lives for us. If we knew it, like, like, and I have simple examples of that. Like, obviously right now, all we're talking about is the perception of reality. And that seems like it doesn't matter. But as I was telling David, it does matter in the grand scheme of things, because if people feel like there is an objective reality and they either have to figure it out or they have figured it out, then they then have all these rules to subscribe to. They then have a way of life they need to maintain. They then have like, they have all all this stress and pressure on them, which is I think why, because maybe that doesn't fit their their lifestyle, which I think is why these Greek philosophers equated skepticism with peace of mind. Because if people believe in it, that reality is objective, even though we know that it is clearly not objective, the reality in front of us is what our brain chose to perceive. If they're told that it's objective and they and the information that it is not objective is not easily accessible to them, they don't have enough mental energy. They don't have enough. They're like, basically, they're not living their lives to the fullest because they think they have to subscribe to the rules of the objective reality they believe in. And then there's not only that, but then there's fighting and division amongst dogmatists. And hey, maybe some people back then really did figure out that it turns out, you know, like the secret or anything, whatever you want can happen. It, maybe they figured out it's true and they just did not want other people to know. Yeah, it could just be that or it could just be as simple as it is where they use the religion to control people. But like you said, like you just said, absolutely, it was used to for control, you know, to well, then why is it these why is it not in our education system now? Because it seems pretty freaking important. I mean, I'll, I don't know. I know that education system is not even close to perfect. And I it know that is, it's pretty bad. And I told David this too. This is part, like I have thought since I was literally like 13 that they were slowly, the way that my friend put it is they're slowly dumbing us down. And that was like a conspiracy theory at one point when I was probably like 13. It was like a big conspiracy theory that the education systems are maybe not the teachers themselves. It was used to but produce good workers whoever, for the record. Yes. That's what we want. We want yes. people who are obedient. They yes. listen. They do what they're told. Yes. You know? Yes. And I'm not so, saying nobody tried to make yes. it better. And I'm sure lots of it got through and it did. But mostly this yeah. is what it's become. It was it was just for you to go to that factory, do your fucking job, and yep. understand how to be told, yep. understand how to socialize yep. in that yep. type yep. of setting. Yes. So that's a better way to put it. I don't think that it's necessarily people being like the government being like, oh, we want these people to be stupid and helpless. Right. It's just them saying we'd rather focus on training them to be worker bees. Exactly. Which is how every problem in capitalism goes. Yeah. I don't I don't think there is some big nefarious plan. I think it's more like, oh, we'd rather Correct. keep the worker bees doing their job. Yeah. And we definitely don't want them causing issues. So let's keep them obedient. And that's what good for the worker bee portion of it anyway. So it's just a yeah. win-win. And then they're not incentivized to change it. Like you said, most things can be ascribed to just like mistakes and and little things, not not grand greed. conspiracies. Yeah, greed. Yeah, you know. it's just more like greed, honestly. Yeah, I mean, we need trickles school down. School needs to be changed. That's a whole other yeah. subject. I think it all needs to be more or less self paced because your age is kind of not. It's it's a it's a helpful factor to see where you're starting, but that's yeah. about it. That's it. Yeah, dude. When I was reading this chapter, actually, I because the back of it has a fact check. It's like a little mini test. So I, the next day after I read the chapter, I did the fact check and I remembered why I'm so fucking bad at school because I remember concepts like nobody's business, but I do not remember names, dates. I don't remember uh, terminology, but I remember the fucking concept and I can explain it to you inside and out. And half the questions on everything is about names, dates, and terminology. So useless. And it's fucking stupid. It is useless. What's the point of remembering that? And what if you're just bad at memorizing? Why are you being punished because you're not so good at memorizing things? No, it needs to be about fun. Again, it's a whole other subject, but yes, it needs a major revamp. Yes. You know, kind of like Star Trek, they're all in their bubbles doing their own thing as kids yeah. at their own pace because you don't need to be, you want socializing and, and group activity portions, but a lot of it, majority of it is on you. And it's more about how you perceive learning. Do you find learning fun? Because if you're forced to memorize fucking dates that are kind of seem like they're not helpful at all, that's I not don't fun. Find it Why? Fun. Yeah, that's going to make you think think of learning is not fun, but yeah. learning is fun. I love we love learning. to learn. Learning is so fun. Everything you playing outside is learning. Yeah. Everything you do is learning. Yeah. Learning is fun, but when you're forced to go sit there and memorize shit, that's not fun. That's not learning. That's yeah. Don't tell me that's what learning is. That's ew. Literally part of the reason I realized that I'm not stupid is because I realized I can just gloss over the the names dates and memorization stuff 
and actually so my brain like filters out names dates and stuff like that that's like tedious so that it can just absorb the concepts and then learning became fun yeah no that makes exactly exactly and I feel like for dates and all that memorizing, they should really just broaden it. Be like, if you can just remember things are happening like early 1700s or late 1700s, that's a good enough, like, I you're putting it all together. You get know? why dates matter, but they don't matter right. when you're first learning about it. Right, and if you you're can going go back to go, and look it up later if you yeah, need to, exactly. if it's relevant exactly. at that time. If you're going to go in-depth in a subject, then you don't need the dates and but the names and all this. I do think it's helpful to have, like, a general timeline in your head. Not a perfect timeline, but a yeah. general. Yes, and I do think there is value to that. It is There is value to understand how recently we learned things. History matters. But yes, learning the dates specifically. You don't need to do it at the same it. time, though. It, do, it doesn't right, need to happen right. at the same time. And you're going to lose it in a month if you're not practicing. Once you get it. further into that subject, then you're end, you're going to end up being like, oh, I want to compare this to this. I wonder when this was and when this and was. And that's when you'll start really exactly. memorizing. Right. Otherwise, I think just a gist. Like they could just say again, like early 1500s, late 1800s. Yeah, that's, for sure. That's good enough. Wow. It is. What a rant. That was a fucking rant. This I, is what happens when you get Gemini's together, man. <laughs> All right. I like our rants. Do you have anything to say in conclusion? It's a subjective reality, and I like mine. Mm. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Like it anyways. In conclusion, fuck the system. Reality isn't real. Mm.